On this episode of Glowing Up Asian, we talk to Ian Chu, Managing Director of Owl Ventures. His Globe origin story starts in Houston, Texas. When he graduated from Stanford University, his career took many twists and turns until he found his passion for building and investing in education technology companies. As the way we learn and what we learn continue to evolve, especially with the advances in AI technology, we explore the future of education and how parents can best prepare their children in a rapidly changing world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Glowing Up Asian, a podcast where we break down the stereotypes and expectations about what it means to thrive as an Asian in America. I'm Daisy Kong, and today I am joined by Ian Chu, Managing Director of Owl Ventures, which is the world's largest venture capital firm focused on education technology companies. For more than 20 years, Ian has been an entrepreneur, advisor, and investor in education and technology companies around the world. Full disclaimer, Lingoace, which produces this podcast, is one of those companies. Great to have you on the show, Ian. Thanks. It's good to be here, Daisy. So very excited to talk to you about the future of education. But before we dive into that, I wanted to take a step back in time and learn a little bit more about your glow up origin story. So you had shared with me before that you grew up in Houston, Texas, and I'm curious, what was that like? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was uh, in the 80s. Uh, you know, we were an immigrant family in Houston and you know, I'd say that it was a pretty normal uh, sort of childhood for me anyways. That's all I knew, obviously. Uh, we were a pretty, uh, I would say, middle-class family growing up in Houston. Uh, just kind of finding our way. I think there was a huge um, you know, population, of a lot of diversity actually in Houston, which is fantastic. And so you just all kinds of folks, um, you know, grew up in Houston and having just the ability to interact with, uh, you know, folks from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds. So it was just a, a really good, I think, experience sort of growing up there. Did your parents like immigrate to Houston specifically, or did they travel a bit around the, the country before deciding to settle there? Yeah, it was a little bit of the the latter. Um, so we spent a little bit of time in sort of the East Coast, uh, but for the large portion of my childhood anyway, we were in Houston. Um, so my father was a uh, chemical engineer uh, and was involved in uh, the sweat oil and gas industry uh, down there. And so that was a big part of us being there. And is um, was he the inspiration for you eventually majoring in engineering at Stanford? Uh, partially. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Uh, you know, the funny thing is I actually uh, started out trying a couple of different things and uh, chemical engineering was definitely w w one of those things. Um, I did end up in, in uh, sort of majoring in uh, a major back then called industrial engineering, but uh, I would certainly say that my father was a big part of it. Were they like a typical Asian parent, like very much like education, you must do well in influencing you growing up and like what they valued to you and your, your siblings? Yeah, I mean, I think education was a big part of growing up for sure. Um, you know, I think for my parents anyways, for both of them, uh, the education that they had was a big part of them coming to the U.S., uh, so my father had come to do his PhD uh, in chemical engineering at Oklahoma University. And then my uh, mother was a nurse, actually, and had come here uh, as well, uh, based on her sort of academic backgrounds. And so I think from from the very get-go, education was definitely a big sort of part of, you know, just kind of growing up. And it wasn't... Um, it wasn't sort of anything that was uh, sort of overemphasized or underemphasized. It was just just part of, um, you know, what we did, uh, part of what they focused on and, and a part of the sort of narrative. 
I think I, it would be hard for me to like not ask you this question after I read the article in Business Insider, but I, I saw that you and your brothers had written a book about college scholarships. And funny story, I'm pretty sure my mom had seen this book because she at one point pushed me to be like, hey, there's like a lot more scholarships you, you should be applying for. And I was like, this is already, this is like a little overwhelming. <laughs> and she's like, there's a book, there's like a giant list of them there. So I have a feeling it was your book. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> was applying to so many of those scholarships like something that you had just found on your own? I would say for for us, a big part of it was just, um, you know, helping out the family. Uh, you know, again, we were pretty middle class uh, in the sense that my, you know, my my parents were an engineer, nurse, uh, you know, and I think for us, we had, there was actually four of us growing up and, you know, to be able to afford um you know, college. And, and again, back then it felt very expensive. Today, it's even more expensive, obviously, uh, 25 years sort of later. But uh, back then, it, it certainly felt like a, a big reach, um, you know, in terms of cost. And, uh, you know, much like I think any um, sort of immigrant family, uh, you know, there's just a lot that people kind of go through. And, uh, you know, my, my mom was working a lot of side uh, jobs, if you will, in addition to nursing. Uh, you know, to help. And, you know, we saw that, um, you know, she would help, uh, you know, sell things like encyclopedias or uh, facial creams or things like that, um, you know, to uh, to support, you know, everything that we were doing. And I, I think a big part of it was just sort of seeing her do that. And, uh, you know, for us, um, you know, trying to do our own part, obviously, uh, you know, I think from a scholarship standpoint, that really does help uh, you know, in terms of the financial burden or, uh, you know, for my parents. And so that was really the big sort of inspiration, I think, for us to to do that. Awesome. I love that story. You shared with me that your career has taken many different twists and turns. And so I'm curious to know, how did you end up becoming an investor in education technology companies? Yeah, you know, for me, it was a career exploration uh, early on, uh, you know, coming out of university was during the the first internet boom. And so, yeah, I explored some things in entrepreneurship. I've worked at startup uh, and then went through a period of time where I was trying to figure out, you know, what I was really interested in, what got me, you know, passionate and excited and did some work in, in media, uh, did some work in consulting and investment banking, uh, landed in eventually in, in investing actually, and spent uh, a few years in investing before business school uh, also did a, a short stint at the NBA, actually the basketball league, uh, which was really fascinating and fun, uh, you know, as also a, a being a sports fan. But I spent the bulk of my decade, um, you know, bulk of my career rather, uh, you know, as an investor, uh, you know, within the technology field, having sort of, again, uh, come up in university during that first internet boom technology was something that was always of interest to me. But as I got more and more onto the education side and seeing that, you know, education uh, you know, could be a really interesting and market to help uh, not only learners and individuals and adults, uh, while also building interesting businesses that really uh, captured my interest uh, and was something I wanted to spend, uh, you know, more and more time on. And, and ultimately, it became uh, an opportunity for me to combine, uh, you know, what I was doing sort of even at the very beginning. Um, so having written that book that we talked about, uh, you know, with my brothers on financial aid and helping people uh, investing in tech, when it all sort of came together around, um, you know, focusing my career uh, with ed tech investing, uh, it really sort of brought together uh, almost, you know, every 
part of the things that I've done that I was excited about in one place. And so, uh, you know, to me, like that's, uh, you know, really been uh, incredible, uh, you know, part of just the journey. And it's something that, you know, we, we're talking a lot about, uh, you know, how do we think about our children and how do we think about influencing and raising them? Uh, just that thread is always in my mind around trying different things and not being sort of, uh, you know, pigeonholed into just one career path or, you know, one area, but just experimenting a bit, trying different things, figuring out, you know, what excites you. And so, uh, you know, for me, that ultimately ended up being a tech investing and, and with Al, obviously. And so that's that's where I find myself. So a follow-up question I have to that is, as an investor, did you just happen to gravitate towards education technology companies? Or did you start to see a trend and opportunity in the sector as a whole and wanted to support more companies that would provide solutions for students, teachers, and schools? Yeah, you know, education investing actually was not a particularly large field. Um, and so for many years, actually, it was uh, more of a philanthropic endeavor. And so back in you know, around 2008 is when I started to focus in on education investing. And it wasn't intentional in the sense of, um, you know, seeking it out uh, at the beginning. Uh, but there were, uh, you know, education companies that were, uh, you know, coming up. Uh, you know, I started to spend some time with them. I really enjoyed, uh, you know, that. And then over time, it did become more intentional. It did become more, I wanted to spend more time with ed tech companies. And that was around the time also that uh, you know, a lot of the industry started to uh, pick up. Actually, you know, when I was um, just starting out in in terms of tech investing, the whole sector only had uh, a few hundred million dollars of uh, annual invested dollars into the category. Uh, you know, today it's measured in uh, you know the five tens of you know, twenty billion dollars. Uh, you know, annually, uh, depending on which you're sort of looking at, but. Uh, so in many ways, it was very, it was nascent. And so when I started out, uh, you know, looking at the sector, uh, there weren't that many opportunities. And then over time, there started to be more and more. And, uh, you know, that's when I realized, well, there, there actually is an opportunity here to spend, you know, 100% of my time focusing in on, uh, you know, education, tech, investing. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, that's where I, where I landed. And, and now, um, you know, in many ways, the sector in, in has grown. You know, there's a lot more entrepreneurs. It's become more global. Uh, and it's been uh, you know incredibly vibrant sector uh, you know now in 2023. So before we dive into the future of education, can you share a little bit more about what Al Venture does, especially for any of our listeners who just aren't as familiar with venture capital? Sure. Yeah, we're uh, you know Al Ventures is the largest venture capital firm in the world. We're focused on uh, that's focused on education technology. Uh, so we're managing a little bit over two billion dollars uh, across our funds. Uh, you know, invest across you know, seed all the way through growth stage uh, in terms of where the companies are uh, in their own journey. And we're, what we think about ourselves is really being purpose built, uh, you know, to partner and help uh, with entrepreneurs that are building transformative education companies. And so that's anywhere between pre K through 12 to higher education, uh, you know, future of work or career. Uh, we're even investing at the intersection of what we call uh, EdTech Plus, which is uh, things like financial literacy, or uh, healthcare and education around telemedicine into schools. And so there's a lot of areas we believe where uh, education is both uh, strategy and market, you know, focused on learners. And we're doing this all around the world. Um, and so 
for our firm, you know, we really have a thesis around this innovation that's happening right now uh, across in education. And we've all seen it over the last few years, certainly, uh, you know, through the pandemic as well, the importance of how, you know, technology can support and supplement, uh, you know, in-person education. And the, the second thing I would just say uh, is that we're really focused on learner outcomes and learning outcomes uh, of the businesses that we support and invest in. And, you know, every year we put together an annual outcomes report that talks through all the impact, actually, that our companies, uh, you know, are delivering to uh, stakeholders and learners and institutions that they support. Uh, and we really believe that, you know, in doing so, they're able to continue to scale, continue to have more impact, and, you know, that begets, uh, you know, more scale. And, you know, in a way, uh, these are global businesses that, you know, we believe will help transform access, help transform outcomes, uh, you know, for you know, learners of all ages around the world. And I think the hot topic right now is obviously AI has changed in many ways, like how we are learning or technology in general has changed how we have learned. And I'm curious, what would you say is different from, let's say, when you were growing up versus today? And like, what advice would you have for parents? I mean, the, the access to information is, uh, you know, so, so vast now. Uh, if you think about, you know, again, when I was growing up uh, in the 80s, the biggest sort of repository of information was two places. One is obviously the public library. Uh, and two was... Um, you know, these encyclopedias uh, that, you know, again, uh, you know, my mother had spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in the side hustle almost, you know, selling some encyclopedias. And, you know, there's this Britannica, right, World Book, things like that. Um, and you just kind of think about how much information uh, and access to knowledge and experts that, um, you know, we all have today. And I think that really is a dramatic difference, um, you know, in terms of growing up now. Uh, you know, for our children as well, you know, compared to kind of what we were kids, right? And so, so that's number one, access to information. Um, and, you know, number two, uh, you know, is really sort of thinking about what is important, uh, you know, to learn. Um, you know, how do we think about the the sort of topic, skills, knowledge uh, that we want to focus on? And so that, I think, has also dramatically changed. And you can see it even now with, um, you know, all the developments in not only in AI, but actually just uh, how much you can have at your fingertips, right? It's sort of no longer necessary, um, you know, to to memorize every single fact. Uh, what's more important is actually to, you know, understand how to uh, digest those facts, how to internalize that, how to provide um, sort of judgment uh, on information that you have, how to go find uh, the information that you need, uh, you know, when you need it. So I think sort of the second and third order skills, um, you know, today occupy sort of more of uh, the time that we should be spending in terms of thinking and learning, which I, I think is a good thing um, because there's, you know, obviously if you can access all the information, you know, pretty readily, uh, then you can spend more of your time on on sort of higher order uh, elements of learning. Now, the other thing I would say though is that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, for folks that are coming from, you know, different sort of backs backgrounds and different sort of access, uh, you know, there is, uh, I think now also, uh, the promise of technology, which is that, you know, we can, we can actually provide technology, assuming the infrastructure is there, which is not a trivial, uh, trivial assumption, but assuming the infrastructure is there, um, you know, there is, I think the ability to level, um, sort of the playing field, so to speak, and to have, uh, you know, students of all backgrounds sort of have access to, you know, the very best, uh, 
And so that's something that that I'm really excited about that we're really excited about as a as a firm is is sort of backing companies and backing entrepreneurs that are focused on you know, serving the whole uh, of uh, the learner environment, the learner population. You know, you had made an analogy before that I thought was very interesting, which was like about a spelling bee and how the skill set to like do a spelling bee is just not as important to be learning now with spell check and all these other tools. A funny thing is uh, my, my brothers and I did uh, did do a lot of spelling bee growing up. And, and the funny thing is, I think that the key learning from that experience is actually the thing that's that's most important, which is actually the discipline, uh, you know, the ability to set goals, the ability to be dedicated to something, you know, over a long period of time. And so those are the things that I think do translate and do transcend to today. Um, but like you said, I mean, I think the uh, ability to spell some esoteric word, uh, right. there's just not a lot of value in that. Um, you know, the roast value comes in, obviously, being able to communicate, being able to, uh, you know, influence, uh, you know, with words and with ideas. Uh, I mean, those are the things that are, uh, you know, extremely, uh, extremely important today, uh, particularly, you know, with everything going on. At Owl Ventures, you invest in companies around the world. And I'm curious, is there a difference in the types of trends that you're seeing in terms of like what type of technology is gaining popularity or gaining more acceptance like in Asia versus the U.S. or in Europe? Is there a difference in trends of like what people are gravitating towards? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of interesting actually parallels, uh, you know, across regions and, you know, in many ways, um, you know, we're, as we're investing in, in Europe, we're investing in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America, and of course in the U.S., you know, what we're seeing is that companies can go global or be global, uh, you know, pretty pretty seamlessly these days. Now, there's a lot of local nuances, of course, um, you know, that for certain businesses are incredibly important. Uh, and some of those differences also reside in infrastructure, uh, you know, differences, uh, you know, across emerging economies versus developed economies. And so, you know, as we sort of look at, you know, for example, uh, Africa and, and Latin America, uh, in many ways, the population growth there is incredibly exciting. Uh, and so, you know, Africa as an example, uh, you know, is forecasted to have about 40 to 50 percent of the world's youth, uh, you know, by 2030. So when you think about that and you think about the educational opportunities and infrastructure that exists, there's really, we believe, an exciting opportunity to leapfrog in some ways a lot of what's happened uh, and learn from what's going on in developed countries. And, uh, you know, for Africa uh, and the youth of Africa, you know, it'd be hard to build up the physical infrastructure fast enough, you know, to keep up with, um, you know, the growth of the population. And so that's really where we think that you know, digital learning uh, and also just kind of the hybrid nature uh, of technology can supplement and augment, um, you know, the, the educational resources and access for, uh, you know, for countries like that. And so I, I think, you know, as we think about, again, a global market for, for education and global uh, learning trends, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think all parents want the best for their, their children. And at the end of the day, they want uh, you know, what's best uh, in terms of advancing, you know, their own careers, uh, you know, as well. And we're seeing, uh, you know, companies that are, you know, based in U.S. that are serving Europe and Latin America. And then also we're seeing similar companies uh, being launched in emerging uh, regions of the world that say, hey, you know, we see a really interesting business in India. We see a really interesting business in the U.S. Can we create one that's a little bit more tailored, that's in the voice of our local region, uh, that also accounts for some of the infrastructure 
uh, and connectivity challenges, perhaps of uh, you know where we are, and also knowing how to reach those end customers as well uh, and and learners. You know, so those are where you know you start to get some really interesting you know regional businesses that um, you know serve learners in in those areas, but without you know without having uh, you know a global footprint necessarily. So it can go really in many directions. With so many different subjects now available online or offline, I'm curious what other skill sets should parents really be also thinking about like versus just like the knowledge gathering? Like what do you for example emphasize to your own children when it comes to like education and what's actually going to be important or like what skills that they should really be cultivating? You know, the World Economic Forum actually has some great content around this that I would recommend anyone uh, who has young children or even for, you know, ourselves as adults um, to really kind of think about and, and look at, um, you know, and they talk a lot about uh, the 21st century skills. They talk a lot about what skills are going to be necessary uh, for jobs in the future. And that's something that I um, completely agree with in terms of, uh, like you said, there's one bucket, which is just foundational kind of content knowledge. And I think uh, there's certainly a base level, um, you know, that folks, uh, you know, with children and, and, you know, adults, again, that that everyone should aspire to, uh, you know, have a a grasp of. uh, And those are things like literacy, numeracy, you know, scientific, um, you know, understanding. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, I think some of the the more sort of durable, important things, uh, again, given the pace of change that we're seeing, um, you know, are things that fall into the lines of, you know, critical thinking, right? Learning how to learn, um, you know, being adaptable and, and persistent, uh, you know, creativity, right? These are all things that I think are extremely important in any type of job or role uh, that our kids are going to grow up uh you know, and, and, and be, you know, part of, um, I think one interesting stat actually that the uh, world economic forum highlights is that, uh, they say that the average half-life of a skill these days is around six years. And so, and that's actually going to actually decrease. Um, so that'll be going to something on the order of like two and a half years, uh, you know, by, you know, the end of the decade. So, you know, and there's lots of reasons for this, right? You can think about, um, you know, even just over the last six months, uh, AI uh, innovations and, you know, how do you sort of incorporate and think about, say, even something like ChatGPT uh, in terms of skills. And, you know, if you went back a year, there wasn't something called uh, a prompt engineer as a job, um, AI prompt engineer. But now there are thousands of posts, um, you know, that companies are to hire uh, AI prompt engineers, right? So now, so we're seeing sort of new roles that just emerge, um, you know, as technology sort of changes, you know, some roles, um, you know, will have technology, uh, that augment some roles, you know, get automated over time. And so, you know, just understanding and thinking about the duration of the skills is really, really important to thinking about, okay, what do I need to learn? And that's kind of why I say, um, you know, learning how to learn and being adaptable is going to be increasingly important you know, more so than, you know, 40 years ago or 30 years ago, because, you know, back then, I think it was a lot easier to say, hey, I, I went to, uh, you know, I graduated from high school, maybe I went and went straight to work from there, or maybe I went to a vocational school, or maybe I went community college or four-year institution. Uh, but in many ways, uh, the, the rest of your career, sometimes folks, a lot of times folks would just stay with the same organization. I think the sort of velocity, um, you know, of change, both in terms of knowledge, skills, uh, the world, and also in 
any one of our own careers, uh, you know, is far, are far more, right? Far faster, far more change now. And so, um, those are the things that I think about, um, you know, when I think about, uh, what kids should be learning in addition to, um, you know, the core content mastery is just continuous learning and the ability to be adaptable. I couldn't agree more because I, I think back to some of the previous guests that I've talked to, like many of them grew up with like one career path that their parents had in mind for them. And it feels like in today's world, you really can't just say, be this because that job may be very different by the time they are that age, like ready to enter the workforce. No, completely. Uh, you know, it's hard to imagine even what jobs will be in 20 years, uh, you know, let alone 30 or 40. Right. And so if you think about, uh, you know, I have a one-year-old, I have an eight, three and one-year-old. Uh, if I think about my, my one-year-old, um, you know, truly he'll be in the sort of heart of his career in 30 years, probably. Right. And so I, I can't even imagine, you know, what kind of jobs. And so again, I think foundationally, it's just about preparing them to be able to flourish and be able to uh, navigate, um, you know, a world that, that we can't even fully imagine or, or grok today. Similar to, you know, what we're doing now, uh, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, I think it would have been really hard for, um, you know, our parents to even imagine, you know, us having a discussion like this online in real time being recorded and distributed globally. Oh, totally. It kind of reminds me that why my parents are still asking me, what do I do? It's hard to explain. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to the end of our conversation, and I want to take it back to just glowing up Asian and um, talk a little bit more about cultural education. And I'm curious if your parents were intentional about teaching you about your own like heritage growing up. Likewise, are you, have you done the same with your own children? Yeah, I, I think my parents, um, I don't know if they were intentional or just it was what they did. Um, I think back then also... Uh, you know, everyone was, especially for them, they were just trying to navigate life, uh, in a new country. Right. And so, um, I, I think for them, they, they did do a lot of things, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, uh, you know, to help us keep connected, uh, you know, everything from travel, uh, to, you know, certain, certainly the foods that we ate both at home, uh, and cultural celebrations. Um, you know, the other thing that I think was really important for me was, uh, you know, my grandparents actually spent a significant portion of their time. Uh, you know, during the year with us uh, living with us. Uh, so I think extended family is a big, uh, you know, part of that cultural heritage as well. It's not just parents because oftentimes, at least for my parents and, and, and you know, us growing up, uh, a lot of times they weren't even, you know, home uh, because they were out working. And so, uh, you know, the fact that my grandparents uh, you know, spent, you know, half the year basically living with us was a big part, uh, you know, of that. And so, you know, we... Um, you know, for our kids, it's it's actually similar. Uh, you know, I think cultural celebrations, um, you know, music and stories, uh, certainly, uh, you know, are a big part of that. Um, you know, Lingo Ace, of course, uh, is something that my, uh, that my son does. Um, and I think, you know, it's fun because now we're seeing actually, I think uh, this sort of next generation, um, you know, also try to have that continuity. Um, so I'll do a quick sort of shout out to a few of my friends that are actually doing some interesting things, I think from a heritage standpoint. So, um, you know, uh, Melissa Miao, uh, you know, just did a, a book, uh, called Bobo Loves Dumplings. Uh, the friend Eleanor Mack, who is launching, uh, Jilly Bing Dolls. Um, uh, Lulu Chang is doing a Bitty Bao, uh, which is a series of books on Amazon, um, and uh, a childhood friend of my wife's, Grace Lynn, is the author of books like Where the Mountain Meets the Moon. So I think there's 
a lot of different ways you think and this is not even getting into uh you know into film um and so there's a lot of different ways to you know continue that uh, that connection and that connectivity and uh, of course travel uh, ultimately you know going to different you know regions uh, you know, in different, um, you know, countries is, is a big part of it. To wrap up, I wanted just to leave on a note of thoughts for the future. What is your hope for the next generation as the world is changing and how we are learning and what we learn? You know, I think for me, um, you might hope for the next generation is that we continue to all connect and, and collaborate to solve again, some of the world's, you know, biggest challenges, right? And so, uh, and again, we believe that, and I believe that it all starts with, um, you know, education, uh, and education itself is also something that we're, you know, trying to help and, uh, address. And that's around, um, you know, of course, different access and, uh, you know, differences in terms of quality of education, ability, uh, those learning, uh, sort of gaps between, um, you know, different communities, uh, you know, both here in the U S and, and abroad. Um, the other thing I would say, which is, you know, probably, um, could be a whole topic for another podcast, to be honest, is uh, that our kids, um, you know, really have a good sort of connection with with others. Um, and that sort of blends into a lot of different things when it comes to technology, but, uh, you know, just conscientious use of technology, right? So I think mindfulness and mental health, uh, you know, are such big topics now um, that I think about and that we think about for our kids. Um, you know, the ability for them to find you know, the meaning and passion in kind of what they're doing, um, you know, as well. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times technology can, you know, be, um, you know, can create some dissonance or, you know, you can certainly get lost in it. Uh, and, you know, we've probably all been there with, uh, you know, our kids or with, you know, nieces or nephews or, or frankly, even ourselves, just kind of getting lost in our own worlds on devices. Um, and so while there's, you know, tremendous power, obviously, in the knowledge sharing, the knowledge transfer, uh, and the access to expertise and information, I think it's also equally, if not more important, uh, you know, to really continue to retain and emphasize uh, those human elements, you know, of teamwork and collaboration, mindfulness, mental health. Um, so I think, you know, again, like my hope is, in the, you know, as we sort of go forward in the next 10, 20, 30 years, um, that technology is used in many ways for the, all the positive aspects that we talk about um, and that we're able to really uh, be intentional, uh, you know, about managing some of the the downsides, frankly, um, of overuse and of uh, information silos and, and things of that nature. And so, and that's, you know, oftentimes it's, it's a tough, uh, you know, balance to strike, but it's something that I think we all, um, you know, need to be, again, just really conscientious about and, um, you know, for ourselves and, and for our kids. No, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story and so much of your knowledge of uh, education. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by LingoWays, the best way for kids to learn Mandarin, Chinese, and English. Co-founded by a parent and a teacher, LingoWays' award-winning online language learning platform connects students with professional teachers and uses a research-backed curriculum that makes learning another language fun and effective. Learn more at LingoAce.com.